Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Hello and welcome to another GLT is always learning GLT book club podcast. This is session number 24. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And I'm Dave Tushingham. Today we'll be looking at the curriculum, the research ed guide to an evidence informed guide for teachers edited by Claire Seeley. Let's get stuck in. Good evening and welcome to another GLT book club session and tonight we are joined by the absolutely cracking Claire Seeley. So I have um, I have the, the really fortunate position to introduce our guests so I will do my best to introduce you Claire but please if there is something I've missed because that, that, that you'd like to remind us about please do say because sometimes there are so many things that are that, that people do and I really don't mean to accidentally miss something because it's incredible what you've done already um, and then Dave will introduce the why behind why we've chosen this book which I really don't think needs any explanation at all and then we'll hand over to listen to you and and hear what you've got to say with having the expert in the room it's just absolutely fantastic for us this evening so thank you ever so much everybody for joining and and here goes so Claire has spent uh, 30 years as a primary school teacher the majority of them over 20 as a head teacher. I believe it's um, of, of the same primary school you've spent a, a great period of time in as well with, with what I've been listening to you about, listening to about you as well, um, in um, uh, St. Matthias Primary School in Tower Hamlets in the East End of London. And you're in quite a different um, place now with your new roles. We'll be really excited to hear about that one as well, because you recently left Headship to become Head of Curriculum and Standards for the states of Guernsey. That's, that's quite a change. And how, what a fantastic challenge to be taking on. Um, you blog about your school and your research at your um, blog, primarytimery.com. You've got interest in the applications of COGSI in the classroom, rethink and assessment for learning and curriculum development. And in 2018, you were named by Tez as one of the top 10 most influential people in education. I'm just gonna leave that thought there for a moment. It just, oh, it's amazing. So thank you so much for finding the time to join us this evening. Um, I, I don't know, it might be even be, might come out in part of the discussion about the differences between your previous role and your new role as well with, with different lenses and different ways you're viewing the curriculum. But I will now hand over to my colleague and co-founder, Dave, to talk a little bit about the why behind choosing this book and this section for this evening session. Thanks, Ree, and, and thanks so much, Claire, um, for joining us today. We are incredibly grateful, incredibly lucky to, to be able to talk with you today and, and just um, to have some of your time um, to, to help us to, to improve as practitioners. We, um, I mean, the book, as Ree said, it was, um, it was a really obvious choice for us, but um, it wasn't originally an obvious choice for us because we are both secondary um, math specialists. And, and so whilst looking at the, the literature which we were drawn to, it was often sort of mathematical text or it was um, certainly sort of more secondary heavy and secondary based. And, and it was a conversation with Mary Myatt who um, opened our eyes a little bit to, um, yes, we, we want to support people and, and being able to support a wider audience, we needed to, to sort of bring a breadth and uh, as well as a depth to, to what we were, were offering and what we were looking at. And, and so, so the first name that, that came from Mary Myatt was yourself um, with Laker as well. Um, and um, we're just incredibly fortunate to have you coming and talking to us about the book. And as soon as I started reading the book, it just felt like as a secondary school teacher as well, I felt like I got so much from it. I just thought that um, the, the, the different um, nuggets that are in there that just that make you really think about what it means to 
um, to use a curriculum, what a curriculum looks like, uh, what quality um, curriculums look like. Um, I just thought that every time I read it um, or every time I dipped into it, I got something new to take to either my head of department or, or to my own practice and, and how I use a curriculum as well. Um, I really found that the book was just so easy to, to read in, in the way it was laid out as well. So, um, so when you read through, you'll see the different chapter headings and the different um, case studies of, of people that have contributed. And, and it was just um, within those chapters as well, they're just the, the headings that, that were chosen, whether they were questions or whether with the, the extract that I picked here about knowledge, because I felt that was a particularly powerful chapter to be looking at. Um, just the acquisition of knowledge in cultural literacy is at the heart of the curriculum. And then a little paragraph or two just explaining exactly what's meant by that. Um, the way that those um, paragraphs were laid out just made it really easy, as I say, to dip in and out of, but to really understand what was meant by, um, by what, you, what the, the, um, the writers, the case studies, what yourself was trying to really get at there. And, and, and so it just, um, yeah, it just really has had a massive impact on my, on my teaching and on my, my understanding of, of the curriculum. Um, really looking forward to talking to you more about um, what the curriculum means to us and, um, and, and what your thoughts are behind some of the things you've written to, to try and develop those ideas further and just really looking forward to learning more. Um, so thank you so much again for joining us, Claire. And I didn't know if you wanted to say a little something about the book or, and how it's come about or, or any thoughts and sort of free thoughts you might have on, on what you've written there. But thank you again so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for inviting me along. It's, uh, it's an honour to be asked. Thank you. So I'm glad to be here. So, um, I mean, I was asked by uh, Tom Bennett at Research Ed if I would write the one or edit the one. I mean, I have to be clear, uh, I wrote the introduction, uh, but I had uh, seven or eight, I can't remember now how many people actually wrote the chapters. Um, so they did, they did the hard work. I then put them together in, um, in some sort of sequence and one or two of them said they'll change that bit or put this bit in, but you know they did. They did most of the hard work, and um, yeah, and it is. It's it's not a, when I when I compiled the book, I, I wanted to have a range of voices to so balance primary and secondary, um, and make men and women, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and it, it's not the same. The same type of each chapter is slightly different. Obviously, obviously, chapters are slightly different, but you know what I mean. So, uh, it's actually on page eighteen. Yeah, I've actually got a route map through, and so there's I've got three sort of headings that you might want to find out because the idea wasn't that you would necessarily start at the first chapter and work your way through. You could do, but some people, maybe people who are more at the early stages of thinking about the curriculum, really wanted practical case studies. So. We've got, um, you know, Sonia Thompson, primary school head teacher in Birmingham, Neil Armand, again, a primary practitioner, Andrew Percival, again, a primary practitioner in Oldham, Doug Lamov and Emily Badillo, obviously not primary practitioners, but from the US context, and Britain Council, of course. Uh, they're talking about sort of the how-to, which is what it looks like on the ground. Then we have, you know, the thing about curriculum, you always get people going, yeah, but who's knowledge? Knowledge, oh, like, Whose knowledge like they've asked the most incredible question of the year? And it's like, yeah, we have we thought about that. You're quite right. It's a good question. So then we've got Michael Young. Professor Michael Young was a great clue to get him. Ruth Ashby, Aurora Reed, and again, Sonia Thompson touches on that. And so it explores that. And then finally, uh, you know, the whole theory of curriculum development, which is not something that many of us studied. I don't think any of us studied in our initial teacher training. Maybe people these days are easy to study in an early careers framework, maybe. But again, Michael Young, Ruth Ashby, and of course, uh, the one on only Christian Council. So there's three different strands, but of course you, you are allowed to read the whole book too, if you want to, but, but you don't have to. You can just pick a mix depending on what you're ready for. Because I think something like some of Christian Council stuff is really good and Ruth Ashby's stuff and the, the Michael Young stuff is really good on curriculum theory. But if you're right at the beginning, if you're a bit of a beginner, that's probably a bit, woo, maybe start off with a case study. Get onto that later. I mean that that just sounds absolutely um, fantastic. And the way the way it's laid out in in that way, just for people to dip in and out of, that's that's something I found incredibly useful to be able to go and to say Andrew Percival is one that I've been dipping in and out of a lot um, with some of the work that I've been doing at the moment. Um, where as a, as a secondary uh, math specialist, I've been looking at working with um, other departments and and trying to support them in how they. Um, 
implement their own CPD and their own curriculum. Um, and, and that's been a real challenge for me to really understand what their curriculum should look like, what the generic features of that curriculum might be. Um, but, but thinking about it in terms of the knowledge and, and, that, um, and how, how I can support them in terms of finding what piece of knowledge fit together, how and when and, and why, I just thought that that was a particularly um, important and interesting chapter um, for me. I don't know if there's anything sort of that you, you wanted to share or any thoughts you had on that particular piece of work or whether, whether there's any sort of bits of advice for somebody who's doing something similar to myself at the moment. Well, I'm really glad that you as a secondary practitioner are choosing a primary practitioner to say how helpful you found it, because sometimes you get people who are a bit like, what can a primary school teacher tell me about? So it's really, really, uh, really nice to hear you saying that. I shall tell Andrew that, who I know quite well. Uh, so I think that Andrew is really clear about how you really need that meticulous detail and you really need to unpack that. Um, and, and also about the pitfalls, about... Uh, when you don't do that and which we've all been there in the olden days how we used to do it so um yeah I, I, it's i mean i'm going to say it's a it's one of the chapters i particularly like so that's i like them all obviously it's like saying which is your favorite child in a way but yes no it was a particularly uh, particularly powerful very clear i think how he unpacks it is very clear um about how you have that really really detailed uh, specifics about what you want children to know but that doesn't mean you teach it in a learn this, learn this, learn this, learn this way. I mean, I think sometimes people think there's an implied pedagogy, which there isn't really. Um, so yeah, Andrew uh, writes very well. Well, I can, I can um, personally comment on the discussions between primary and secondary specialists, because my husband is a primary math specialist and I'm a secondary math specialist. And he um, he stepped into the shoes of a head teacher this September. I don't envy anybody who's a head teacher at present. Um, and I think it might be quite surprising to people when I say, well, actually, no, my husband really knows how to teach maths. In primary school, they have to they start right at the very beginning. And there's a much deeper understanding mm -hmm. re required for that because you can't assume knowledge in the same way. And at mm. secondary school, I tend to, uh, for, for a lot of my time as, as a teacher, I've assumed so much. I've just built on to what they've already got and thought about what I've taught them in my classroom, rather than connecting with what other people have done in, in their classrooms in the same way. And that's just within a secondary school, let alone then thinking about the work being done in in the primary classrooms as well and making sure that we work with our professionals there and everybody respects one another you know there's mm -hmm. another few twitter spats lately and I, I really don't want to go into those because in my household we have both primary and secondary and we talk all the time and we have differences of opinion but we also have mutual respect for one another and i think the way that we're all talking about curriculum much more now is hopefully going to help with that and the, the sort of the common language and the framework you've given people to help support them with how they can access the book because I found with reading educational literature when you're first starting to read it it can be quite like wading mm -hmm. through treacle really because there's so much going on and you think you have to go in from beginning to end whereas as an expert, you're able to dip in and understand different threads and, and piece things together in different ways. So I think it's really helpful that you mentioned that about the three um, different strands on yeah. page 15. Hopefully I've um, put a link to that in the chat for people as well. And I just wanted to say um, that it was great that you said that you had that diversity of people who contributed in this book. And I think that's really helpful. And, and one of the things that more and more people are doing now um, well, I'm, I'm doing more. So I, I suppose as you as you progress through your career, you you um, spread your wings into other subjects that you're working with, you're supporting, you're discussing, you're teaching. And it's it's very different than working outside and beyond your own curriculum. And you touch upon you, you've got your different sections in the book and you've got your different subjects. But it's something I still find 
that I'm not at all confident in. And I didn't know if it was worth ha having a bit of a, a conversation about that and maybe some advice and hints and tips too. Well, actually, that's interesting because at, at the weekend I was doing a talk for Tom Sherrington's Ed You Give um, event, which is great to do. And after me was Nimish Ladd. And he was talking about this as how as a senior leader, you know, if you're line managing other subjects, like how, and a, I think he's a science teacher, math, something like that, something STEMI. Um, science, anyway, whatever. Um, and I'm thinking line manages dance. Right. And so, how do you get to know these things? I mean, obviously, Christine's chapter in the book is, is absolutely brilliant um, for understanding that. But as well as that, uh, the questions you've got put in there and the, and the questions you can ask. But he said, and I thought this is, I mean, this is more from a secondary perspective, obviously, that what he did is he'd made sure he read the exam specifications for the subject at DCSE or BTEC um, at A-level um, to get to know them, the examiner's reports. He, and this is what I was looking up when you uh, were doing, he, the, the what should schools teach? Discipline subjects and the beauty of knowledge by... Alka Segal Cuthbert. Anyway, he said that was very good. Um, so I think, it, and then obviously there's a June Ashby, uh, June, Ruth Ashby's book is also written in uh, a chapter in my book. Uh, um, she's written her own book on uh, the subjects. I think reading the preambles to the national curriculum, the bit that nobody ever reads because they skip straight to the bullets and the charts, but the actual preambles of the national curriculum are really useful and they sort of explain what the subject is for. And a concept I like to talk about, I think about is, what is uh, the, the problem that a curriculum subject is trying to, trying to solve? Or I've written about this in a different blog, what's the renewable conflict at the heart of a subject? Like what's it for? What's it trying to answer? What, what, what meaning is it trying to articulate? So Ruth Ashby talks about, you know, different subjects as different structures of meaning. So obviously RE is about what's the meaning of life, what's right, what's wrong, why are we here, how can we know? Whereas geography is asking different questions about resources and why and why do people settle where they settle and why is the earth like how it is and you know, why is the river there and why are people near the river and what's that volcano all about? So different subjects are trying to answer different questions. So thinking of subjects in that way Obviously, then there's all the uh, they're, they're um, heavy going is the wrong word, but they're meaty. The Ofsted subject research reviews are really useful, but they're not lightweight, quick, easy reads. That's for sure. Um, and but in all of them, it's all about the structures of knowledge and the ways of knowing. I think that's really interesting. So it's not just about substantive knowledge, the stuff, um, although that's really important. It's also about how do we know like how did how does knowledge in that subject earn its stripes how does it get to be knowledge how does it how can it be you know rendered obsolete if, it, if it's disproved and what does it mean for something to be uh, superseded in that subject and you know you do the older the children are the more you do of that but you still do that with year one kids or early years kids um, but it, it, in a much more light touch way. But the example I always give of that is at some point, you know, like with a very young child, you might read them Red Riding Hood, you might tell them the story of the Fire of London, but they're fundamentally different kinds of stories because there wasn't any Red Riding Hood. We ain't going to find the bones of the, of the wolf somewhere or the real path or, you know, the, the relic of the Red Riding Hood, are we? Like, the whole thing about the fire of London is it actually happened and we have sources that tell us and show us we have maps we have ceramic archaeological uh, things we have the diary etc so that's the beginnings for five-year-olds disciplinary knowledge this thing actually happened and we've got things that tell us that and I suppose it's it's coming back to just getting stuck in and reading and finding out isn't it and on, on all the things you say there, it's just to, if, if you're working in subjects that are outside of your comfort zone, <laughs> I, would, I would say area of expertise, but I don't feel I have much expertise at the moment because it seems the more I do, the absolute less I actually know. Um, but it's just to keep 
reading up on it, isn't it? And, and, and to talk about it and ask those questions. And I think part of me, or a lot of the time, if I ask a question and somebody answers and I'm thinking, I still don't understand their answer. I will just nod and say, it's okay. So um, if I give an example of that, I am absolutely dreadful at geography. I really am not very good at that at all. So somebody will give me directions and about three seconds in, I switch off and I have no idea afterwards about what they're saying. Um, so what I do with my own children is I find now that when I'm trying to explain things to them and I think they've switched off, I will ask them questions to make sure that they understand, you know, just those, those little cold calling techniques with my own children. Um, and I was just wondering if maybe that's something we can do. Hopefully, and I'm not trying to sound patronizing in, in this way at all, but I think it would almost help me if I'm having a curriculum conversation with somebody and asking these questions, because I'm really trying to find out, if they then ask questions back to make sure that I'm understanding as I'm going so that there's a, there's a two-way dialogue. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe that sounds absolutely daft, I'm not sure, but just because sometimes it's very easy to nod and say, say yes, you, you understand, and still find it a little bit difficult to, to ask, especially when it comes to curriculum and when you're dealing with experts in that subject. And that's something very, I think that's something quite challenging to do. I think, I think as well, I mean, in a trust, you've got that breadth, haven't you? So you might get a, a feeling like, I'm not really convinced about that, seems a bit wet or something about what a colleague is saying or oh, that sounds really great but then there's nothing wrong with checking it out with somebody else is there and go is this okay and, and you know sometimes I've uh I've thought mm, I'm not sure and it's like no no, no actually that, that, that's good is exactly what they should be doing and sometimes it's like yeah no so, so yeah ask away I mean I I um you know head of curriculum and standards I have to in theory do everything from early up to further education. So that's interesting. I was talking to some people on here uh, beforehand, I you, wasn't I, about you know, how plumbing and hair and beauty is like, oh, right, I have to know about that now. Okay, right, there we are. But yeah, it's about asking questions. But I think if you, and the Oscar framework can help us here. It's at, the, at its heart, it's about knowing, well, to use Ofsted talk, what are your components? What are the fundamental components, little pieces, the little breadcrumbs um, that your curriculum is made out of? And what are the, and then how are they drawn together into composite, complex activities? So you've got, you've got the, the moving parts that form together to form a whole. So what's that in dance? What's that in plumbing? What's that in math? What's that in geography? What's that in DT? So it's getting back to what are the components? Are you really sure? Mr. or Mrs. Curriculum person, the component that you've said is, is sort of the base, going back to your thing about why primary math teachers have to be able to unpack and unpack and unpack. What's inherent in that? So Adam, Adam Box has written this brilliant book called Teaching Secondary Science. It's not out yet, but it's really brilliant. You should have him on here and get him to do when it comes out. It's really fantastic. And he uses the example of photosynthesis and he's the national curriculum, which says something like, to know the reagents of photosynthesis, da, 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 da. And you think, oh, yeah, that's quite detailed. But then he unpacks what that actually means and goes, there's so many questions not answered by that. You know, what do you mean by the reagents? Do you have to know where they are? Do you know, do we have to know where the glucose is stored. Do we have to know what kind of equation do we have to know? What do you have to know? It says about the adaptations of cells, photosynthesis. Just know where all the adaptations, you know, you unpick and you unpick what's beneath, what lies beneath, what lies beneath, what lies beneath. And I think it's always worth doing that when you're curriculum planning. Is he uses techniques for substantive knowledge, not for not so much the procedures of asking core questions. So having a question and the answer, not for teaching, but just for clarity in yourself. What's the question? What's the answer? What's the question? What's the answer? And I think you ask the question and then you think, ah. Oh, can that question be subdivided down again and again? And at what point do we just stop? Because I mean, obviously at some point, you know, if you're doing photosynthesis, you have to go light. I mean, if a child genuinely doesn't know what light is, then you know, you're probably not gonna teach 
what light is unless you're teaching very, very, very young children. Um, they probably already know that. So, I mean, you don't want to go into ridiculous detail, but you do need to go into quite a lot of detail. So, for example, using this photosynthesis idea, you probably do have to say light from the sun, which we might just think is obvious. So it's about, you know, the whole novice expert thing and the curse of the curse of the expert because things become so obvious to us. It's about trying to go back and putting yourself more into novice mode and thinking, what are the things that I'm assuming when I say photosynthesis evolved light? Yeah, what, what am I not saying? What do I need to spell out and be crystal clear about those in my planning and in my teaching? Yeah, and listening to you there, just before you mentioned about that novice expert spectrum, I was thinking, actually, I think there's huge benefits to discussing curriculum with somebody who is outside of their subject when they're talking to you about it, because we don't know our own blind spots as as with with what we currently know and the things that we think are obvious. And until we're articulating and explaining it to somebody and, and really trying to think about it, it's it's only at that point then do we start being more explicit about certain things and and really considering them. So I think there's huge benefits in talking to somebody who actually will ask questions because if they have those questions, I need to be able to answer them. And if I can't, then I've got to do some thinking. And, yeah, and I think you're right. And it's like teach me. Go on then. Teach me about I don't know quadratic equations or the rotation of the Earth or how to do whatever you do in dance. You know, teach me how to do it because you can't teach me to do it. You ain't going to be able to teach year eight, are you? Yeah. <laughs> In fact, one of the techniques uh, we've been using is um, Alex Bedford's pupil book study, another person you should have on the show. Really, really fantastic person. Um, a really interesting technique. And that's basically about trying to see if, if your learners have made progress, not through measuring and numbers, but by talking to them. Um, alongside their books and, and, and seeing what they can tell you. Can they, can, what do they know and what can they show? Um, and that tells you that's a really powerful way of knowing if your curriculum has had impact. Um, and anyway, I was doing this with some PE students in my secondary school and uh, they were talking about athletics. And I was like, okay, show me, show me how to do a shot put. How, where do I put my hands? How do I hold it? Where, where do I put my feet? And, and then somebody else was like, oh, I like long jump. And, and they showed me how to do that and it's great fun and then the last one went ah oh, cheerleading and I was like oh is that the bell oh thank god for that <laughs> but yeah whether it's talking to the subject leader or, or putting themselves and getting them especially if you're out of subject uh, it can be really really helpful to, to get you and if they everyone gets a bit hazy you know when it all gets a bit like mm -hmm, then you know it hasn't got granular enough and this is really important for our for our learners who are more school dependent. So what you could call disadvantaged learners, but I think the phrase school dependent is really powerful. Some students learn, will learn what they learn more, are much more dependent on school for what they're going to learn than others, because others for all sorts of reasons, and it's no blame or stigma attached, come from families where parents and carers energies is invested for totally understandable reasons on other things like earning enough money or paying the rent um, and don't have uh, or have had a really poor experience in school themselves or, or all sorts of things so they come to school and they, they're really dependent on school to give them those stuff other people come from families where they talk about you know, Shakespeare and know, quadratic equations and volcanic eruptions or whatever whatever all the time and they come with a lot more so when they talk about life and photosynthesis, it's like, of course it's the sun. Of course I know what carbon dioxide is. And if our curriculum assumes that, it's a really exclusive curriculum. So to have an inclusive curriculum, an inclusive curriculum is a highly specific curriculum where we've done that hard work of unpicking what our assumptions are and what the prerequisites are, the real necessary prerequisites. So we know what the components are, we know what the prerequisite components are, and we're diagnostically assessing as we go as to whether all these really important granular stuff that we've said, there's no point in really having this clear progression if we're not checking, but that's going, that, that, that kids are remembering that as we go. 
and we're flexing our teaching in response um, and we're explaining well we're ensuring our lessons have a high level of participation high ratio to use the teacher like champion term and last of all we have a really rigorous a culture, culture of retrieval in our schools. And we're not just assuming, well, I've taught it, I've covered it, it's all done. So yeah, good luck with that. Like it's normal for children to forget, it's completely normal and natural or for anyone to forget. That's what we know this from cognitive psychology. We know that learning is inevitable. So stop being bewildered by it and surprised. Like have a strategy to address that. It's, it's like when students buy themselves a revision guide, isn't it? And it, it goes in their bag or on their shelf or under their bed because they think, well, I've bought that. I, I, that that's it. I've bought my revision guide. I, I now know what yeah. to do and forget yeah, the to osmosis. engage with it. Yeah. yeah, the osmosis view of learning. Yeah. yeah. And the, the other side of it where we think just giving the students. So here you go. Here's a pack. This is everything you need for the exam that's coming up. Now go away and revise. We haven't broken it down, broken it down for them, or helped to show them a path through, and 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 give them opportunities to retrieve. So, no, thank you ever so much, Dave. I'll bring you in now. Thanks, Ree. Um, and I just there's so much I've just already taken away from that. The idea of um, where you're getting the knowledge from. Um, so, so looking at the national curriculum in more detail for each of these subjects and. And when it's still vocalised and when, when you read it, it becomes like really obvious, but at the time it just needs that little bit of guidance. And I guess it's that idea of assuming no prior knowledge as well when you're teaching the students. And um, one reason why I wanted to go to the primary um, text, uh, particularly and look at the primary curriculum um, and, and Andrew's work in, in the book was um, because I, I really wanted to compare what's the same and what's different with the secondary curriculum. To really understand what makes a good curriculum, I, I feel like you need um, to gain some of that breadth. Um, and of course, you've got a lot of breadth from those conversations that you've had with people as well through the, the editing of this book. I think your guess um, in terms of the knowledge, uh, my knowledge of the, the process that goes with the editing, apologies um, when, when talking about how the, the writing that you've done within that, I imagine more of a co-writer, so I do apologise for that bit. But, um, but what I'm really interested in is, is how, um, how when, when you had those conversations with those people or whatever that process may have been, whether there was something that that you took away or whether there was things that were the same in, in all of those conversations or things that did come out that were a little bit different um, in terms of perceptions of what a good curriculum sort of looks like, whether there's um, things that we need to be aware of that, you know, this is a staple, this is a, you know, this has to happen each time or, or whether there's sort of different nuances that, that you picked up through the, through the process. I think um, the case studies, I mean, I know uh, Andy Percival, really well. I know Neil uh, Armand quite well. I know Sonia Thompson a bit. So I sort of knew their work already. I read off their blogs, been to visit some of their schools. So uh, and they're also primary. So that was, um, I mean, their stuff was really great, but it wasn't new to me um, so much. But and, and I think, um, but the, the pieces that were like, whoa, they were really, so, I mean, Ruth Ashby's thing on on meaning, and that was a real, I mean, it sort of, when I read it, it's like, that's what I've been meaning, that's what I've meant, but I hadn't had the words to say. And that idea is that that's what knowledge is. It's about, that's why it's important. It's not because it's some you know, precious relic of the past, although it is a precious relic of the past too, but it's a precious relic because it's about, it's about meaning. And in fact, it sometimes, you know, we talk in schools, if I'm just being off piece here a bit, but bear with me, we talk about mental health. And you know, of course, we want to help not be, children not be anxious and so on and so forth. And, and of course we do. So, but that's sort of over there. And I think we forget the protective benefits of knowledge as an integral component of mental health. If you think about mental, it's to do with our brains, to do with cognition as well as feelings. And I think having knowledge is an essential component of good uh, mental health. It doesn't mean you have to be brainy to have good mental health, but if, you, if we unpack that, that it's having a mind that's connected to other people's minds through time and space, and it's, about, and it's connected 
and shared meaning. So again, it's not about being highly intellectual. People are, have better mental health than, although actually there is a correlation, but there we are, but it's not what I'm really getting at. It's that a sense of belonging, a sense of shared meaning, and that is pro-mental health. Anyway, she doesn't go into mental health so much, but I think knowledge and meaning um, are really clearly articulated and questions of truth, because you know the truth inherent in different subjects, she's talking about disciplinary knowledge, and the, 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 the claims of truth in each subject. So that was really mind blowing for me and really, really informed me. Uh, the other one, of course, is Christine Council, who is obviously the, the goddess of curriculum planning, really. And um, her, her, her chapter on I, uh, questions to ask uh, subject leaders, but also uh, she uses a phrase in there and that's about going the long way round. And this is the antithesis of the exam-driven uh, sense of curriculum. So, you know, uh, and she says in one place, um, you know, that sometimes we're so, get in English, for example, we're so hung up on teaching children how to answer questions that this has an effect on the reader, this, this has an effect on the reader by X, Y, and Z, that we forget to actually let the book have an effect on the child which is the whole point of reading literature to have an effect on us to change us and going the long way around and that is the point of it going back to that Ruth Ashby and meaning the whole point of this education is to have an effect on us to change us or as, uh, as uh, Michael Young would say to give us powerful knowledge that so it is to be changed um, by what we encounter to become richer um, richer people for, the, for it. That's brilliant. It's uh, yeah, it's just so much that I'm taking away from that. The idea of the meaning in the curriculum. Um, I can find myself in mathematics um, teaching a process and, and going through that process and making sure they really understand how to use that process. But have I really talked about why? And, and we've had some sessions in the past with math specialists that have talked about um, the, the power of a story um, within um, your, your lesson and, and how you can um, really sort of intrinsically motivate, but also when giving it that meaning, um, support students to become more expert because they can start to find some of those links themselves because, um, because they have the knowledge ready, but um, they can also sort of um, explore where that knowledge appears in other aspects of the curriculum. And I guess with the sequencing, it's important to think really carefully about where particular pieces of knowledge are, are positioned so that students can start to make those links. And, um, and, and that's, that's quite a complex, I guess, conversation to have, to, to, to sequence a curriculum and to, to put it all together in that way. And I, I mean, I don't think we need to get too hung up onto utility in curriculum design. I mean, I don't know what is, one, because you'll never know um, when it might be useful. Who would have thought that we would all need to know about exponential curves? And now we do. And in fact, the fact that people find them, you know, with COVID, obviously making that link in case I haven't made that clear, but the fact that people don't understand exponential growth is part of the problem, that they don't understand that it's really fast exponential growth, it's much more different, much different from, is it arithmetic, is that the normal one? Yeah, anyway, the other one, um, <laughs> arithmetic growth. Um, so, so who would have thought we needed to know that? Uh, but we do, uh, and, and we, we do have that in our, in our backpack. Um, so, so it isn't always about utility, but you never know. And one of my favorite ways of thinking about this is um, Toy Story 2. Is it Toy Story 2? One of the Toy Story movies, anyway, where Mr. Potato Head is going on a journey. And Mrs. Potato Head keeps on putting, you know, he's hollow, and putting in all sorts of different things into his, into his void, including the monkeys. And, so, and then the monkey chow. And he said, why have you put in monkey chow? For the monkeys. And, you know, if so much stuff gets put in, if, if you have never seen it, you'll think, what on earth is she going on about? If you have seen it, you go, oh, yeah, I know that bit. Keeps on stuffing in full and full and full. But that's it's just in case. It's a just in case curriculum because we don't know. We don't know what this journey of life uh, may, may, may have ahead for us. And who would have known that exponentials were going to be really important for people who aren't going to be math teachers or scientists? But there we are. Now we need to know them. So, but it's, but again, it's about, this is, me, these are things that society over generations have found meaningful and, and useful and important 
and answer great questions. So therefore, we're going to teach it to them and you may never use it again. It may just be a thing that you learn how to do and you never use. But do you know what? Our culture thinks it's important. So you're going to learn it. So quadratic equations, here we go. There's a there there is an absolute well there's a there's an awful lot to be said for talking to somebody about something when you've heard it before or you're slightly familiar with it because you have come across it and it makes you feel more comfortable it makes you feel more confident in being able to take part in that in that conversation that discussion rather than um, potentially feeling intimidated because you're not really sure about what's going on. So I can, I, 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 you know, I'm just pulling on those strands where you talked about the, the protective benefits of knowledge. And they are. We all know what it's, well, I know what it's like to sit in front of an exam and have to answer a question and then realise, actually, I didn't revise for this as well as I thought I had done. Highlighting my notes and rewriting them really didn't help me to... <laughs> Um, it, it embeds that knowledge. So there's an awful lot that's been learned from cognitive science and, and helping students that way. And especially with the shift of instead of us just pressing that knowledge onto students and just giving it to them, helping them to use it now and to remember it. So we're not just teaching them stuff, we're helping them to learn. And there's such a big, shift between the two I, I think there and it's it's something that I I've learned an awful lot about in in the last few years I'm not just telling my students stuff actually I'm, I'm here to help them learn and that might sound obvious but I think it is a shift that we've had more recently mm -hmm. yeah sorry I'm, just, I'm not on mute hooray I'm trying to I nearly <laughs> muted myself I've been yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, I think uh, this robust culture, uh, culture of retrieval uh, using Adam Boxer's phrase. Um, but it is also about teaching, and we talk about metacognition, you know, it's a buzzword, but actually um, teaching our, our children why powerful ways to revisit knowledge by quizzing yourself, basically, why that's important and how it can build your resilience, it will build your independence, it will make you feel successful. I mean, it might not in the moment, but it, it, it's really worth doing because you will get you you will will achieve so much more and so you know secondary school teachers make your homework I'm sure you already do but you know your homework should be you know 90% retrieval based just get that going and have that as uh, so kids understand why they're doing it kids buy into it teachers buy into it and it's just something that you do and the metaphor I came up with just the other day actually was because you all you know obviously I teach I have to talk to all sorts of groups of teachers and you know because like people know I'm from a primary background you get the sort of GCSE teachers going yeah 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 but you don't understand you've got the curriculum to cover and I don't underestimate the pressures of that but hey it was the same in England with year six and trying to get to the end and quick 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 but actually you can go you know go slow to go quick is uh, I think it's Debbie Morgan's slogan um, and the metaphor I came up with is you know, the myth of coverage. And I think we like to cover, it makes us feel we've done a good job. If I've covered, I've got I've covered the syllabus, I've gone from A to B. And so it's a bit like, my metaphor is, imagine someone's telling you to build a pipe, a pipeline. And you've got to go pipe from pipe A to pipe B and get your water to go through the pipe. However, the pipe they've given you, the material they've given you to build the pipe leaks. And so the water leaks out. But you're not bothered. You don't, even though you know the water is leaking out, you just keep on tutting at the naughty water for leaking out. And but you don't stop building the pipe because you're obsessed with getting from A to B. And when you get to B, there's no water because it's all leaked out because you were obsessed with coverage and you weren't like, I'm going to go slow to go quick and I'm going to build a bit. And then this is where my metaphor breaks down in terms of retrieval practice. Do whatever it is to get the water back in the pipe and then build a bit more. And, keep on doing that to address you know the pipe leaks so have a strategy for it and don't just try and complete the pipe go back and help to fill the hole so it leaks less that's your retrieval yeah. practice isn't it oh brilliant yeah. dave come on in so i feel like i'm hogging it again this evening if anybody else does want to um get involved please do um just raise your hands or or in the chat you can ask a question we can ask on your behalf as well but 
Um, there's some um, some brilliant ideas that are coming out there. Um, I just wanted to build on the idea of the retrieval practice and the homework. What we do in our um, trust is we have uh, what's called self-quizzing, uh, where every um, evening the students will be expected to write themselves 10 questions based on a knowledge organiser, and then they will um, quiz themselves until they can cover those up and they, they can remember those um, 10 questions. That's something that happens each day and, and we have um, at the moment some uh, support sessions for those who might be finding that more challenging um, and within those support sessions um, I've made a video for um, the teachers that are running those support sessions to show why we do that some of the theory behind the, the forgetting curve and, um, and and why retrieval is so important um, and uh, and then um, talking them through the importance of making sure they're going through the quizzing aspect rather than just writing down as many as they can and, and that's that completion um, that you talk about once more where there's this real urge to um, can I get my quizzing done for tonight can I get those 10 questions on paper um, and changing that almost culture with the students to being uh, why am I doing this um, what is it I'm trying to get out of and um, and going through that process of really remembering the, the facts that they're, and the knowledge that they're looking at. Um, so I just wanted to share something that we were doing. It's not really a question, but just wanted to sort yeah. of put that out there, something we try. Yeah, a good idea, really. And, and again, getting the students to understand why is really important. Having, um, I'm, I'm sure you've all got, I mean, maths is always the, the classic one that quite often has, whether it's Dr. Frost or Mr. Barton Maths or whatever, they have those sort of, computer programs that have that sort of retrieval practice built in. Um, Carousel uh, is a fantastic product that you can get as an individual teacher level for free, or you can pay more and get it as a math and have all sorts of functionality. But Carousel is brilliant. I'd really recommend schools have a look at that, but you need some sort of tool to make it easy. But we know that if you, don't, if you make things hard, then they're much less likely to be done, but it's really, really easy and, um, then students are much more likely to do them. So as somebody's asked, Jane said, what's it mean to have a homework that's 90% retrieval based? Well, I mean, the bulk of it, I mean, 90% have made that figure up, but you know, the vast majority of what we're asking our students to do for homework at a secondary level um, is that sort of quizzing in whatever format, in lots, probably in lots of different formats, but that's what you do. In primary, you can still do some of it, but you know, reading, well, it's still at secondary as well, but particularly as it's primary should be retrieval and lots and lots of reading. But yeah, we want our primary kids to be learning the number facts and learning their tables and also doing retrieval practice and what they've learned in geography and science, whatever. In a light touch way, it doesn't have to be very, very heavy and whatever, but just keeping that going. Does the help, that help to answer your question there, Jane? It's a really good uh, question put in the chat and thank you ever so much for spotting it and including it there, Claire. Can I just, uh, this is going back miles, but to, 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 to something we talk about components of learning and particularly because of math teachers here, and that is um, a really early component. In fact, well, my husband um, is a, a math intervention teacher for primary kids. So kids in primary, not just for early maths, but early maths that hasn't worked. So for those kids, and he would say that one of the key words that kids who struggle with maths don't get is each the concept of each so if you're doing the concept of equal groups in multiplication and division if you don't get each you're not really going to get it and and for whatever reason they don't get that and if you think of taking that forward to when you're doing acceleration and it's per second per second which you know still is a bit like for me but that's each each that's double each isn't it or each yeah anyway so that's my handy tip to math teachers, secondary math teachers. Make sure they um, really understand the kids who really, really struggle. But they've actually got what each means and and the concept of an equal group. Sorry, it's a bit of a digression, but just no. But it's it's, it's right because it means that um, it, including in our curriculum. Um, vocabulary that is subject specific and making sure that that's included, the definition, its uses, and um, when and why, and, and, and our accuracy with how we use it as well. So as experts, we might replace all sorts of words, left, right, and center, because they roughly mean the same thing, but actually, 
I think there's a lot to be said about being really precise about what we're saying, which is not what I'm modeling right now. I, I completely understand that. But um, that we're being very precise about what we're saying. We're saying it in a similar way each time. So it's got the rhythm and they've got that vocabulary to be able to support what they're doing as well. So I think that's brilliant. Thank you ever so much. If you do need to go and have your dinner, please do. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. <laughs> go on then, Dave. Um, just um, one other thing that's sprung to mind from reading the book, and um, you know, I'm showing myself up now for, for they're using it as a dip in and out, and I'm, I've forgotten who has written this uh, part, but there's a part about powerful knowledge um, that, that stuck to mind um, and what it means to, to be teaching powerful knowledge. And it's just, as I've been listening, it's just, I've just come back to the idea of um, what gives it the right to be in that curriculum, what, what's me meant that that has um, survived and, and been become a part of that, um, that, that curriculum knowledge that we want to teach the students. And, um, and I just think that it's worth um, sort of recognising the idea of powerful knowledge and, um, and, uh, and why we make the decisions or what's what's in the curriculum the idea that um, it needs to be consistent with other organizations I, I seem to remember and, and some of the sort of um, the knowledge that we give students so that they can uh, be on a par with their peers but they can also um, access the academic aspects of their subjects and, and I just thought that was something to, to touch upon because it just seems such an important part of, of uh, the curriculum and, and of um, the knowledge that we teach. Yeah that would have been Michael Young, Professor Michael Young, he's the uh, he's is the one that coined the whole phrase of powerful knowledge. So Sorry, as Michael. To, that's okay. As opposed to knowledge of the powerful, so he contrasts it with knowledge of the powerful, so the elite who have all this knowledge, so powerful knowledge which is for everybody. Um, and it's for disadvantaged children as much as anyone else. So, uh, and it's, it's, and what he's contrasting it with, is like there's knowledge that we all gain from our, our, our homes and our communities, and that's totally valid and, you know, part of what we are and should be respected and there's also powerful knowledge which is stuff that you're, you're not going to learn at home and if you're, school, if you're a school dependent learner you're definitely not going to learn at home but probably you're not going to learn as unless you're, your parents just talk about academic stuff non-stop um, which probably none of our parents do all the time you, you, you're not going to learn about it so much at home so and, and also the other thing he's talking about is where does that knowledge what, how it earns its stripes, how it gets to be knowledge is through the academic discipline. So through the universities, or if it's a, an art subject or a practical subject like engineering, it's through community of practitioners. So they are the ones who, who, who have the authority to say, yeah, that, that's been rendered obsolete, that's been superseded, or to, and that's something like the arts, you can't say. Um, you know, there's no definitive answer that it's, it's, it's right or wrong in the same way, but this is a good example, this is a great example, this is not so much. Um, and, and, and then that debate within those subjects. So yeah, fascinating stuff. Thank you ever so much. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm just starting to be a, a little bit mindful of the time here because it is starting to run away with us a little bit and I don't want to forget some really important aspects of, of what we do as well. So as a, as a book club, so we do have diversity of voices and people in the room at the same time. We are very, um, we're in the fantastic position that our members also get very much involved in what we do. So um, we're joined by Tim Creswell this evening, who's deputy head teacher at one of the Greenshaw Learning Trust schools at Scott Medical Healthcare College in Plymouth that joined us recently. Um, it's been absolutely fantastic that you're able to join us, Tim. And it's been a very wide reaching discussion this evening so <laughs> I know yes I can see you making lots and lots of notes and you're definitely definitely thinking hard um, about what's going on so it's just really good to be able to hear um, your thoughts and your takeaway from from yeah. what we've been talking about in, in and around the room here and then we can go back to, to Claire and see if there's anything anybody yeah. else wants to say so I'm going to mute now and hand over to you Tim. Thanks, Ree, and uh, thanks, Claire. And I just want to say a big thank you. Uh, I'm a deputy head uh, for curriculum in a school where I uh, line manage psychology and performing arts and English and all sorts of other subjects. And, and your book, uh, when, it, when it came out, was just a real breath of fresh air in terms of really reinforcing some things that I'd already known and some things I'd uh, read about in blogs, but, but just really uh, just pinning it down to the things that actually work. 
and I've just picked up a few uh, few bits there from from what you were talking about, and and some real phrases that that have sort of stuck with me, uh, and I wanted to make those my takeaways. So uh, the first one for me was around the idea of, of a curriculum being uh, the things that society has decided that are important, uh, and actually that they don't have to have utility. I think sometimes as a teacher. Uh, you know, you speak to people and they say, well, why do I, why did I need to know Pythagoras? I've never used Pythagoras in my life. And I actually, I heard a really good phrase for this, which is that perhaps you didn't, but uh, but society decided that, that some people might need to know that. And the architect who was sat next to you, uh, they, they now do need to know that. So, uh, but also that it doesn't have to have utility, that, that knowledge uh, is powerful and actually it really gives you a sense of self. And, and your, your comment there around, uh, around mental health, around that actually knowing more about the universe and our place within it, uh, it, it can really impact on our mental health in, in a really super positive way. So understanding uh, you know, that more of the world uh, gives you more control. It gives you that better understanding of, of what's going on in your life. And I, I actually jotted down, you were talking there about, um, you were talking about uh, some things that people don't know they need to know until they know them. So things like exponential curves. Uh, and I, I, I put in the chat that uh, I, I've taught the polymerase chain reaction uh, for, for the last 10 years and everybody uses it now as the, as the, the initials PCR, uh, which is where the PCR test comes from. And actually, you know, for those guys that I have taught that to, they'll go on, they'll have that little bit of knowledge in their, their, their mind. Um, so that's the first one is that is that curriculum really being the, the body of knowledge that we uh, as a society have decided to be important. And then I think the second takeaway there which is that, and I actually picked this up from a different blog that you, uh, a different um, podcast I'd heard you talk talk about, which was uh, that you, there, there was a moment that you realised that uh, the curriculum is something that we want everybody to know. Uh, it's not just something that we do. It's not. It's not. It's our. It's not our mission to just get to the end of it. Uh, we we actually along the way really need to make it sticky and for students to actually understand it. And I think that idea that. Uh, what's the point in, in getting to the end if, the, if nobody knows it? Uh, that, you know, that being the, the ultimate aim of, of what the curriculum is. So actually for us to go slow, and I do like your, uh, your pipe and water analogy. Uh, I love a good, my father was in the, in the water industry and that's a, I love a water analogy. Uh, so that idea to, you know, to go slow, to go quick, what's the point in getting to the end of a lesson if students haven't understood it? And I think then you know, bringing that in, if we've got this body of beautiful knowledge that we, we're trying to impart on the next generation of humans, uh, we need to ensure that we're using cognitive science to be able to really impart that knowledge in a way that works, uh, not in a way that doesn't, so that we're using our time, which, as you said there, is, is, is uh, incredibly valuable in schools. We're using that time really, really effectively. Um, and the, th the third one there, I think, uh, uh, as well as around that, that idea of just uh, heavy use of, of retrieval, that actually that idea of all of those simple individual points, the point that you made about Anna Box's idea of, you know, I'm a biology and chemistry teacher myself, and and the idea of uh, that that principle of photosynthesis being reasonably simple when you write it in that way, but actually, you know, a subject like chemistry, which appears to be complicated, is actually just lots of really simple things all joined together. And if you miss one of those simple things, that actually you get to the end and you can't you can't really understand the whole. You know, it's it, and that, but then applying that to disadvantaged students, that actually that when we pre-assume the knowledge that students have that all that does is disadvantages the disadvantaged uh, and, and actually we have to really go back to the basics of let's just check that everybody understands what i mean by light Let, and, and if they don't for me to have the confidence to not want to get to the end of my lesson plan but actually for me to be able to reteach that uh, in a really uh, succinct way so that students then have you know that that rich schema and, and that's actually interesting that we, we've not really talked about schema building hugely in, in this uh, in this chat but uh, it, that but that last point that where we where we assume uh, we assume that students have knowledge we are disadvantaging the disadvantage so my three points are that the curriculum as a whole uh, is the uh, that which society has decided that we, is important uh, point number two is that if we've decided that stuff let's use some really good cognitive science to make sure that students actually know it because that's the point and then number three if if we pre if we assume that students already know it and we don't check uh, that we're all we're doing is dis is we're further disadvantaging the disadvantage those are my three takeaways Ray. I think you could have ran the session much better than I did this evening, Tim. That was absolutely cracking. Thank you so much for that. You've the... done a great job. Yeah, oh, it's brilliant. Um, Claire, it's just, I always really like to hear um, the reflections on other people in the room as well, because often they come up with things that are, they picked up on things and nuances and obviously sometimes absolutely 
huge things that I hadn't noticed myself because I'm, I'm looking at other things there. So it was great to hear from him. And I thought before I closed the session, I didn't know if there was anything else that you wanted to say as well, Claire. Oh, I'll just thank you again for asking me. And if I can leave with just one thought, going back to the utility thing, this is a thought experiment. It's really, I think it's really interesting to just think about the things you've thought about over the weekend. So there'll be stuff to do with work. There'll be stuff to do with staying alive as an adult, not poisoning yourself, but, you know, but you know, eating moldy food or whatever. Um, but just what, what is your, you know, what did you think about? I mean, I just did this myself and I, I thought about the moon. I thought about, I mean, I've watched Handmaid's Tales. I was thinking about the religious fundamentalism and abuse of power. And I thought about flowers growing and I, I just, just, let your mind wander and think about the things that you thought about that have nothing to do with utility, but just about making your life rich and interesting. And that's what the curriculum can give you beyond utility. And obviously part of its utility, part of it's not dying to eating rotten food and being able to earn a living and so on and so forth. But it's not just about that, it's so much more than that. Thank you so much. That's really helpful because I suppose if we just focus on the utility, we're not thinking about the things we might need someday and actually just what's fun and enjoyable. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, Claire. I, I, I my, you might have noticed now I'm actually struggling to articulate because my brain is absolutely full and overloaded. There's just been such a wealth of conversation this evening. We're hugely grateful to you for your time and to everybody else in the room. Thank you so much, um, Dave, for picking this book. I'm so glad that you did. And for your takeaway too, as well, Tim. And um, our next session, we're going to be joined by Bradley Bush to look at his book, um, that he worked on with Edward Watson, The Science of Learning, the second one they did, the 99 studies that every teacher needs to know. So it, we're going, we'll be picking up on some more sort of cognitive science there as well. And, and, and from that, and I'm really looking forward to that one. So thank you so much, everybody. Another cracking session, and I'm going to stop the recording.